0: I often tell people that I'm enjoying an optimal time in my life, a time in which I'm able to engage in four of my greatest personal passions, including advocating for social justice as a lay minister with the UU Legislative Ministry of Maryland, and helping others to do so as well. Belonging to a UU community here at UUCF and beyond, where I enjoy discussing, discussing our shared values and ministering to people occasionally, And conducting worship services here and at congregations around the state. And making music as a member of our choir, which will be returning in September. And providing special music for some services. And last but certainly not least, spending time with the love of my life, Cheryl O'Brien. Often on road trips, a passion that we share. The experience of travel has expanded our awareness of our world, its awesome natural forces, and the animate and inanimate things in it, including geology, people, cultures, societies, and the beauty around us. They've helped us become more discerning, more alive, and more spiritually connected. My father always said that travel was the best education, and he took the family twice, to Colombia, South America, when he was doing consulting work for the government. And after my freshman year in college, my roommate and I traveled for three months in Europe. It was a mind-expanding experience to immerse myself in other cultures and engage with people of other languages, beliefs, and perspectives. My high school French came in handy. Having read The Ugly American by Eugene Burdick and William Blair in my my teens, anybody know that book? Yeah. Having read that book, I strove to avoid the arrogance and cultural incompetence exhibited by American tourists, as well as our foreign policy in the 50s and 60s. When approached by camera-toting, Bermuda short-wearing American tourists getting off a bus in, in Paris... I was so embarrassed that I pretended to be a German student so I wouldn't have to betray our common heritage. They bought it. Since then, I've taken every chance I can to travel, to open myself to new experiences. Before going to China a few years ago, I even learned some conversational Mandarin so that I could relate more to the people and of that land. I also read and research I'm going so I can have a deeper understanding of the experience. This is what I mean when I say travel is a spiritual practice of mine. Spirituality means the search for the sacred, that which is set apart from ordinary and worthy of veneration. And a spiritual practice is one that looks beyond the activities of daily life and seeks to look inward for deeper meaning and inner peace. When Cheryl proposed the creation of the Flower Guild to provide flowers for our services at UUCF, she was pointing to the need to include the beauty of nature in our spiritual practice here at UUCF. Indeed, she makes sure that, that we take the time on our travels to truly experience our natural surroundings. I'm the history geek. She's the nature geek. Last month, we literally hugged Thousand year old trees in redwoods. Yeah, that's quite moving. So, communing with nature is a type of spiritual practice that many of you can relate to, and there are a lot of national parks that can feed our souls. Yellowstone was the first park that Cheryl and I visited on our honeymoon, and it was truly awe inspiring. Now, let's leave aside for the now the fact that it was the ancestral lands of indigenous people who were driven away and prohibited from living there. There are currently 27 tribes that are formally associated with Yellowstone. And the National Park Service now is exchanging information with them about park projects and ethnographic resources. The tribes have requested to participate in resource management and decision-making to collect plants and minerals for traditional uses. At other parks, the National Park Service has even returned land to its original inhabitants. The National Park Service manages many such eco-preserves, from those officially called parks and monuments to wild and scenic rivers, national seashores, shores, and even national river and recreation areas. They all teach us of the variety and fragility of the environment. Nowadays, the NPS provides information on how Native peoples lived and thrived in these environments, including the desert, helping visitors connect to all those who have gone before us. So I think most people relate to communing with nature as a spiritual practice, but what of other sites managed by the National Park Services? What about the national monuments, battlefields, uh, historic sites, and so forth? Let's go beyond the eco-preserves and talk about these other places commemorating our national heritage. The experience of historic sites can inspire strong emotions and provide a much deeper and more complex and complete understanding of our American heritage. In this context, the thoughts and emotions provoked by these sites create a deeper connection with the past and lead us to a greater understanding that everything in the universe is indeed mutually dependent. In 2016, Cheryl and I began a quest to visit every U.S. national park and collect the so called passport stamps for each. This is no mean feat because the Centennial Passport Book, it was 100 years this, since they had started the National Park Service, it had 420 individual parks. And it took until this summer to visit just over half of them 230. And whenever we decide to go somewhere, we usually go by car, not on the highways all the time, stopping at multiple sites, go along the way, coming and going. Not only have we done this when visiting family and friends around the country, we've also done it while attending the UUA's general assemblies when they're held around the country. When we traveled to the GA in New Orleans a few years ago, we found ourselves taking a civil rights pilgrimage since almost every place we visited involved the struggle for human freedom for African Americans. From Civil War battles to the modern places at Selma and the King Center in Atlanta, the National Monument in Birmingham was so new there wasn't even a stamp for it. Our trips to GAs in Spokane, Washington and Portland, Oregon, on the other hand, were notable for sites related to Native American peoples. We spent some quality time at each. When we started this quest at Antietam Battlefield, I quickly realized the National Park Service represents a civil war site, uh, that they present civil war sites, um, and how they have done so has changed from when I was a child. Growing up in Atlanta, I was surrounded by a culture that glorified the noble lost cause of the Confederacy in what they called the War Between the States, or in some cases, the War of Northern Aggression. In those days, the military gallantry and the, of both sides was highlighted, and slavery as a cause of the conflict minimized or completely absent. In those days, it was considered more important to focus on the bravery of the soldiers, both sides, in order to make white visitors feel good about these important events. Similarly, sites that involved Native Americans focused on the heroic cavalry and the brave white settlers as they made their place in history, building the nation from sea to shining sea. That has all changed. Every Civil War battle we've visited now features information how enslaved people lived before, during, and after the war, as well as the contributions they made in the ultimate Union victory. Antietam features how the battle enabled Lincoln to issue the Emancipation Proclamation, but it also documents the story of extraordinary accomplishments of rural African-Americans in Maryland, Virginia, and West Virginia. The one exception we encountered was at Bryce's Crossroads Battlefield, where the locally run Mississippi Final Stands Interpretive Center was nothing short of a glowing monument to Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest, later the founder of the Ku Klux Klan, and his heroic victory over Union troops in what was basically a meaningless battle. The movie shown even included the late Southern historian Shelby Foote calling Forrest a military genius. The literature provided better information. But at the other Civil War sites, the stories changed. We learned that Lincoln had reversed the decision of some Union generals to free enslaved people in Southern territories that they captured. However, at Fort Monroe, Virginia, General Benjamin Butler devised a much more politically astute policy. When a Virginia slave owner demanded the return of three slaves that had escaped to Fort Monroe, he refused on the grounds that these people were contraband since they had been used to wage war against the Union. And by confiscating the land of the slaveholders' property, it allowed the Union Army to shelter and feed hundreds of these people and accept the work they offered in support of the Union Armies. From then on, every time Union troops captured territory, there was a contraband camp to welcome newly freed people. General Butler, by the way, is the grandfather of Blanche Ames, after whom our art gallery is named. Once again, we see evidence of connection. Likewise, the formation, information provided at sites related to Native Americans is dramatically different than it used to be. At several parks and monuments, the local Indian people present the story of the site. We were both deeply moved by the video produced by the Nez Perce people of Montana about how the U.S. cavalry and a local white posse ambushed their people trying to escape to Canada following Chief Joseph. The story was harrowing and outrageous, yet in telling their story, the Nez Perce showed great compassion and even forgiveness. We could all learn a lesson from these heroic people and their descendants. In Oklahoma, the Chickasaw National Recreation Area is joined to an impressive Chickasaw Cultural Center that commemorates their forced relocation from their home in Mississippi on the Trail of Tears and their accomplishments in self-government in what was then called Indian territory. What was there destroys the myth that all the Indians have been killed or driven off by the white settler culture. They exist and thrive today and their story is inspiring. Other national park sites now pay homage to those who lived there before white settlers. The park containing the Natchez Trace, an ancient pathway through Tennessee and Mississippi, which became a major route of white settler expansion in the early days of the country. That park now contains sites where native people built impressive mountains, and the stories of their descendants are now being told. Still other sites provide accurate, if disturbing, information on the effects of early colonization, including the first French settlers in their Louisiana territory at Cane River Creole, the Spanish at the San Antonio missions, including the Alamo, and even the Dutch and Danes in the U.S. Virgin Islands. There's a slave rebellion there. What we are now seeing at national parks, monuments, battlefields, and other historic sites is acknowledgment of the historic sins, harms, and mistakes of the past and presentations of truthful information regarding America's two original sins, colonization and slavery. It's important that the national park is leading this effort to set the record straight, to make Americans aware that our history is different from what many were taught and what many books, movies, recordings, songs, and other entertainment presented for mass consumption. Visitors are now being shown how America was built on stolen land by stolen people, as you'll hear in the Avett Brothers song later. This is being repeated across the country, including Monticello, which is not a national park. But its tours now confront visitors with the system of slavery that Thomas Jefferson used to exploit and oppress people to support his lifestyle while he wrote in our, de- our Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal. There's a tour, there a tour guide explained, I've come to realize that there's a difference between history and nostalgia. And somewhere between the two is memory. I think that history is the story of the past, using all the available facts, and that nostalgia is a fantasy about the past using no facts. And that, and somewhere in between is memory, which is kind of a blend of history and a little bit of emotion. I mean, history is a kind of history is kind of about what you need to know, but nostalgia is what you want to hear. Not only is this refreshing that that new approach of the Park Service is educational, but we also find these experiences inspiring and spiritually uplifting. The National Park Service is doing its part by confronting visitors with uncomfortable truths. We are required to relate to and empathize with the oppressed. We begin to feel more connected to all of the people of our history, not just the conquerors, but they're victims as well. It makes us more compassionate and more human. We see that everything in the universe is mutually dependent. If we are looking for deeper truths and meaning, national parks are a great place to start. Indeed, travel to these places can and should be a spiritual practice.